Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. Uh, this discussion is going to be on Mosiah chapter 23. This is actually a continuation of Mosiah chapter 18. Um, so this, uh, this is about Alma and uh, his people. So let's get into this one. Verse 1. Now Alma, having been warned of the Lord that the armies of King Noah would come upon them, and having made it known to his people, therefore they gathered together their flocks and took of their grain and departed into the wilderness before the armies of King Noah. And the Lord did strengthen them, that the people of King Noah could not overtake them to destroy them. And they fled eight days' journey into the wilderness, and they came to a land, yea, even a very beautiful and pleasant land, a land of pure water. And they pitched their tents, and began to till the ground, and began to build buildings, yea, they were industrious, and did labor exceedingly. And the people were desirous that Alma should be their king, for he was beloved by his people. But he said unto them, Behold, it is not expedient that we should have a king. For thus saith the Lord, ye shall not esteem one flesh above another, or one man shall not think himself above another. Therefore I say unto you, it is not expedient that you should have a king. Nevertheless, if it were possible that ye could always have just men to be your kings, it would be well to, for you to have a king. He's talking there about King Benjamin, how good he was. Even though a righteous king is chosen, there is no way to assure that those who succeed him will be of like spirit. For this reason, the Lord commanded Samuel to warn Israel not to establish a monarchical government, but they would not listen to their God or to his prophet. And that was from a doctrinal commentary of the Book of Mormon. Verse 9, But remember the iniquity of King Noah and his priests, and I myself was caught in a snare and did many things which were abominable in the sight of the Lord, which caused me sore repentance. There is no true repentance without suffering. Nevertheless, after much tribulation, the Lord did hear my cries and did answer my prayers and has made me an instrument in his hands in bringing so many of you to a knowledge of his truth. Only those who walk in the ordinances of the Lord have the promise that they will find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures. Verse 11, Nevertheless, in this I do not glory, for I am unworthy to glory of myself. And now I say unto you, ye have been oppressed by King Noah, and have been in bondage to him and his priests, and have been brought into iniquity by them. Therefore ye were bound with the bands of iniquity. And now, as ye have been delivered by the power of God out of these bonds, yea, even out of the hands of King Noah and his people, and also from the bonds of iniquity, even so I desire that ye should stand fast in this liberty wherewith ye have been made free, and that ye trust no man to be a king over you. Remember that Mormon is writing these words for us. We should avoid spiritual bondage through our faith in Christ. And also, Mormons emphasizing here the, the need to uh, trust in the Lord and not have a king. Verse 14, And also trust no one to be your teacher, nor your minister, except he be a man of God, walking in his ways and keeping his commandments. Thus did Alma teach his people that every man should love his neighbor as himself, that there should be no contention among them. And now Alma was their high priest, he being the founder of their church. In the part of the Book of Mormon where we first read that Alma was the founder of their church, the pronoun there refers only to the people who were with Alma in the wilderness. It does not refer to the entire Nephite nation. 
Having laid the foundation for the church among the, this people, Alma is properly referred to as its founder. This is not to suggest that the church originated with him any more than the expression their church was intended to mean that the church originated on the initiative of the people rather than with God. And that was both by Daniel Ludlow and then uh, uh, Skillet, <laughs> McConkie and Millet. Uh, verse 17, And it came to pass that none received authority to preach or to teach except it were by him from God. Therefore he, meaning Alma, consecrated all their priests and all their teachers. That is, he set them apart in their callings. He ordained them to their offices. It is evident that Alma helped both the priesthood and keys. Keys are the right of presidency, the authority that controls and directs the activities, functions, and ordinances of the priesthood, thus assuring that the Lord's house will always be a house of order. Those who hold priesthood keys today include deacon and teacher quorum presidents, elders quorum presidents, bishops, stake presidents, apostles, and temple and mission presidents. And none were consecrated except they were just men. Therefore, they did watch over their people and did nourish them with things pertaining to righteousness. And it came to pass that they began to prosper exceedingly in the land, and they called the land Helam. Remember that uh, Helam was the first man that uh, is mentioned where Alma is baptizing people back in Mosiah chapter 18. So either the people named it after him or Helam was named after this area, probably the first. According to Nibley, Helam means to be healthy, to recuperate, to restore, to revive a place, or to prosper. Verse 20, And it came to pass that they did multiply and prosper exceedingly in the land of Helam, and they built a city which they called the city of Helam. Nevertheless, the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people, yea, he trieth their patience and their faith. Elder Maxwell said, Faith includes faith in God's developmental purposes. For the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people, yea, he trieth their patience and their faith. Still, some of us have trouble when God's tutoring is applied to us. We plead for exemption more than we do for sanctification. Howard W. Hunter said, Mormon surely knew that no pain we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts expands our souls and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. Notwithstanding their desires for righteousness and the covenant that they had made with the Lord, the people of Alma were, surely, were sorely tried and tested. Such is the purpose of mortality. Faith and obedience do not excuse one from the vicissitudes of a lone and dreary world, do not preclude the constant buffetings of Satan and, the, and his hosts. That was again from uh, Millet and McConkie. Uh, the Lord said in the Doctrine and Covenants, Whom I love, I also chasten, that their sins may be forgiven, for with chastisement I prepare a way for their deliverance. The Lord's people must be tried as by fire. It is great challenge. It is great challenges that produce great people, and great difficulties that produce great faith. Of the Savior, and by extension, all who seek society with him, we are told, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and made and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. We can hardly lay claim to any attribute of godliness unless we have been tried and tested on the matter. It is meaningless to say that someone is filled with love if he has never been in a situation that evokes hate, that he is courageous if he has never been in a situation that elicits fear, that he is generous if he has never been called upon to share, and so forth. It was an epic trial that merited for Abraham the title Father of the Faithful. There are no conquering heroes unless there are great battles to be fought. Uh, again, that's Milton 
And McConkey Elder Maxwell said, Patience is not indifference. Actually, it is caring very much, but being willing nevertheless to submit both to the Lord and to what the scriptures call the process of time. Patience is tried very closely, or tied very closely to faith in our Heavenly Father. Actually, when we are unduly impatient, we are suggesting that we know what is best, better than does God, or at least we are asserting that our timetable is better than his. We read in Mosiah about how the Lord simultaneously tries the patience of his people, even as he tries their faith. One is, only, one is not only to endure, but to endure well and gracefully those things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon us. Just as did a group of ancient uh, American saints who were bearing unusual burdens, but who submitted cheerfully and with patience to the will of the Lord. Sometimes that which we are doing is correct enough, but simply needs to be persisted in patiently, for, not for a minute or a moment, but sometimes for years. Patience is a willingness, in a sense, to watch the unfolding purposes of God with a sense of wonder and awe, rather than pacing up and down within the cell of our circumstance. Too much anxious opening of the oven door and the cake falls instead of rising. So it is with us if we are always selfishly taking our temperature to see if we are happy. We won't be, whereas faith and patience are companions. So are selfishness and impatience. Patience is therefore clearly not fatalistic, shoulder-shrugging resignation. It is accepting a divine rhythm to life. It is obedience prolonged. Patience stoutly resists pulling up the daisies to see how the roots are doing. Verse 22, Nevertheless, whosoever putteth his trust in him, the same shall be lifted up at the last day. Yea, and thus it was with his people. For behold, I, now this is Mormon's editorial comment, will show unto you that they were brought into bondage, and none could deliver them but the Lord their God, yea, even the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And it came to pass that he did deliver them, and he did show forth his mighty power unto them, and great were their rejoicings. For behold, it came to pass that while they were in the land of Helam, yea, in the city of Helam, while tilling the land round about, behold, an army of the Lamanites was in the borders of the land. Now it came to pass that the brethren of Alma fled from their fields and gathered themselves together in the city of Helam, and they were much frightened because of the appearance of the Lamanites. But Alma went forth and stood among them and exhorted them that they should not be frightened, but that they should remember the Lord their God, and he would deliver them. Therefore they hushed their fears and began to cry unto the Lord that he would soften the hearts of the Lamanites, that they would spare them and their wives and their children. And it came to pass that the Lord did soften the hearts of the Lamanites, and Alma and his brethren went forth and delivered themselves up into their hands. And the Lamanites took possession of the land of Helam. Now the armies of the Lamanites, which had followed after the people of King Limhi, had been lost in the wilderness for many days. And behold, they had found those priests of King Noah in a place which they called Amulon. And they had begun to possess the land of Amulon and had begun to till the ground. Now the name of the leader of those priests was Amulon. And it came to pass that Amulon did plead with the Lamanites. And he also sent forth their wives, who were the daughters of the Lamanites, to plead for, with their brethren that they should not destroy their husbands. Remember now that uh, naming places here was a Hebrew custom. And so here we see them doing it again, naming the land Helam, and also here the land of Amulon. And the Lamanites had compassion on Amulon and his brethren, and did not destroy them because of their wives. And Amulon and his brethren did join the Lamanites, and they were traveling in the wilderness in search of the land of Nephi, when they discovered the land of Helam, which was possessed by Alma and his brethren. 
And it came to pass that the Lamanites promised unto Alma and his brethren that if they would show them the way which led to the land of Nephi, that they would grant unto them their lives and their liberty. But after Alma had shown them the way that, that led to the land of Nephi, the Lamanites would not keep their promise, but set guards round about the land of Helam over Alma and his brethren. Maybe this is the reason the Lord led the people of Alma out of the land in a miraculous way. Instead of having the guards get drunk, the Lamanites would not keep their promise. Verse 38, And the remainder of them went to the land of Nephi, and a part of them returned <clears throat> to the land of Helam, and also brought with them the wives and the children of the guards who had been left in the land. And the king of the Lamanites had granted unto Amulon that he should be a king and a ruler over his people who were in the land of Helam. Nevertheless, he should have no power to do anything contrary to the will of the king of the Lamanites. So this is going to become a problem now to the, to the Nephites with Amulon being the leader over the Lamanites here. Uh, he's going to cause burdens to come upon the Nephites that uh, is not going to be very pleasant. I bear testimony that this that we're reading is translated material, translated by the gift and power of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.